Okay, here we are. I'm with John Anderson. Good evening. And we are joining you from my living room to record a podcast. We, we don't really know what we're going to say for this. But, Not at all. Um, we felt it was too good of an opportunity to go to waste. Um, maybe some context, right? Uh, John is a Revelor author. Uh, you may have heard me talk about Way of the Living Ghost, but you've got two other books. One is published. Uh, the second one. Yes, Opening the Vermilion Spirit. And uh, the third one is on its way. I forget yes. if you've got the title for that yet or if uh, that's it's to not be finalized, announced. But there's there's one in the works. Okay. Uh, and if you don't know Jeremy, he's an editor at Revelor, and he's edited a few of my works already. So um, I owe him something. <laughs> I'm glaring at him right now. He doesn't know that. <laughs> we're at, we're co-conspirators, and um, I don't know how much we want to get into, like some of the context for you. Uh, well, you just were, you used the word conspirator, so it must be pretty deep. <laughs> you um, you're staying with me for a little bit after the whole. Fort Myers, uh, Hurricane, Hurricane Ian. Ian. A, that was a about about a bit of trouble. Yes, yes. Um, so we're kind of coming out of a intense climatological event. Um, this whole coast, really, the whole yeah coast was yeah. was Clear. bracing for it. Florida, period. Mm -hmm. uh, it pretty much went. I don't know where it's going to go. It's mm -hmm. going to go somewhere. I don't know how bad it's going to be. It's going to be pretty bad. Okay, but. The benefit has been nice long form conversations in person, talking about books and writing and publishing and all sorts of things. I agree with that. So, um, yeah, may maybe to begin, uh, it would be good to get my listeners situated with your work, uh, the books that you have been working mm. on for Revelor, like what you do and what you've been writing about. Well, my background in general is uh, started with with you call traditional Chinese medicine which is a relatively modernized term. Uh, and from that, I became more interested in Eastern philosophies and applied Eastern philosophies more specifically. And um, at one point, uh, I was reading uh, a translation of the Tao Te Ching, uh, which many of you might be familiar with, um, attributed to Lao Tzu. Um, I'm not quite sure if that's an actual person or if the Tao Te Ching is actually one text. Uh, but the point of that text is that it gives you pointers as to how to live a bit more of a realized life. Uh, I, I hesitate to use the term enlightened, but maybe a more realized life um, through the balance of the cosmological forces and concepts of yin and yang. Uh, yin and yang, if I would be more uh, correct about it. But you understand what I mean, I think. Uh, and when you read this kind of work, it's great for the person who really aspires to reach into that more, the loftier spaces of being and, and the the greater balance in life, but most of us aren't there. Mm -hmm. uh, so my first book, The Way of the Living Ghost, is a retelling of the Tao Te Ching through the eyes of a, a living ghost. You could broadly say a hungry ghost in, in Buddhist, in the Buddhist sense of the term. Uh, it's a retelling through the eyes of that 
being that basically tells you how to do it wrong, mm-hmm. how to do it backward, so to speak. It's a good October book. Uh, it is a very Halloweenish sort of book. It, it is about ghosts, and it's about you know trying to live in a way that is not ghostly. Mm-hmm. The the upshot to it is that from my perspective, uh, and I, I would say even the Taoist perspective at large and the Buddhist perspective is that this this first book, The Way of the Living Ghost, is actually about how to become a ghost if you if you don't kind of straighten up and fly right, so to speak. So you will read these passages and they will sound Mm, unsettled they will sound uneasy and they're often difficult to read trust me they were difficult to to write Um, but the goal is that if you are made aware of certain behaviors that you as the reader might be doing um, that you have a chance to stop the the pattern Uh, you can stop something that might be ghostly and to be clear there are criteria i mean there there are are signposts that i would look for in this way um, broadly you know a sense of feeling hollowed out a sense of being unable to properly process nourishment and a, a feeling of of having turned one's back on a greater sense of meaning in life, for example. Uh, these would be ghostly traits. And in this uh, logic, if you if you get into the habit of approaching these behaviors, you actually will become a, a ghost in the in the more traditional uh, sense of the term a disembodied uh, uh, disharmonious maybe even angry spirit so this was the point of this first one is to uh, wake up unite you here pay attention and the second one uh, opening the vermilion spirit is about how to open the heart to return to a human path it's about how to be more humane uh, and I think this is a sort of bit of an ironic term because I think that the term humane can be applied to non-humans as well. I think that some some members of the animal kingdom also show empathy and um, greater understanding and, and emotional depth than we often give them credit for. And this is a sign of... of humaneness if if not what we would understand as humanness it is a sign of humaneness Mm. Mm. and that book is about how to reconnect with some of that sort of process so that we can become a bit better at being human or humane again and then the third book right is is it's still in the works but i think you can yes there there's a that one's going to be a, a it's still being worked on. It's going to be a hefty little tome, uh, I think. Um, and that is how to... That addresses the concepts of spirithood within um, 
Eastern philosophies, uh, which sit at the opposite end of the pole, say, from ghostly behaviors. So Gui and Shen are two sides of the same spirit uh, world. Um, Gui is closer to a ghostly, heavier yin type of spirit, and that Shen is closer to a lighter, um, uh, more yang sort of spirit. Uh, and I, I, I definitely don't want to use the terms good and evil here, or light and dark. There are some, some spaces where those terms might apply, but I really don't want to use that, that type of dichotomy straight off the bat, because it's a bit more complex than that. Um, and, but that book is about how to be more spirit-like, more Shen, mm -hmm. more lighter, more, uh, a bit more Yang as it goes. Um, so that there again, we, we can move even past the human, just the human quotient of being, mm -hmm. while still keeping one, one, one bit of yourself there. And together, they roughly address the, the triplicity of Hun Shen Po. Uh, in, in reverse, actually. I wrote them kind of in reverse. So the pole came in the first book, and the Shen is the second, and the Hun is the third. Uh, and they're meant to be taken as a set, although you can read each one of them um, separately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, where do we open up from here? Um, in that triage of these different aspects of uh, the human being, they're almost different aspects of our multipolar self, right? Like our spiritual sure. body having different aspects. I think you can you can make that connection pretty easily. Uh, in in my way of learning, uh, which is probably closer to what you what people would understand as a as a a an iteration of Chinese folk tradition as opposed to an organized, uh, strictly Taoist or Buddhist tradition. Uh, in the folk traditions we have uh, enfolded within us as part of our inner lives, five spirit aspects. In the modern sense, they get interpreted as mental capacities. So awareness and thinking and intention all of these have a, are called a different thing. In my way of thinking, uh, which I, I broadly classify as animist, uh, I treat them as separate spirits in their own right because there is, to some extent, a separateness, an otherness, an autonomy, which comes from each of these five. And they sort of have their own lives that, that don't, we're not always aware of. They're doing work in the background that we don't always pay attention to or are aware of. And so we, we end up being individuals by committee. You know, we end up being sort of composite individuals um, because they do inform our sense of, of self, our, our own I, I'm doing so-and-so. Uh, this is happening to me. But that can be broken down and is ultimately illusory. It's not, it's not just an I. Uh, I or me is a, is a, is a convenient, you know, label. Uh, and certainly 
uh, my reading of this, uh, this is not the only philosophy to have this sense of, uh, of things, but we can, you can sort of have a, um, a group entity that forms into a, a, a one, one bigger thing, mm -hmm. uh, such as, you know, a colony of bees, for example, a hive is a, is a collection of the work of individual bees, but is more than the sum of those parts. So it is something similar to that. I like the image of uh, the human being as a, as a composite being, the human being as the beehive. It's, mm. I think it's a very animistic mm. uh, acknowledgement that the self is pluralistic, right? Any given self is actually an assemblage of different aspects, right? That are all, that maybe, as you say, have their own competing intentions, contentions, right? States of varying degrees of health well-being and navigating all of that is actually you know if all, a trick if all goes well you know the general thrusts of things should be in a in a direction there should be some some relative accord overall uh, if everything is harmonious then it's not so bad but even still uh, you know if you if you were to watch the current of a, of a stream or a river even though the water is moving roughly in one direction, there are still eddies and smaller currents within that that maybe they don't run counter to it, but they do sort of uh, cause turbulence, right? Mm -hmm. So it doesn't come out as clear as it might otherwise. Uh, and it's the same thing here. Uh, and I treat the, the term spirit to mean... Um, disembodied entity. I, I don't necessarily just mean mental capacity here. And this, you know, this is a, a sticky wicket, as the British would say, because it affords you the capacity to then talk to that or, or entertain that or interact with that specific thing. But it also means that you therefore have to negotiate your relationship with that thing which is uh, I, it's it's difficult mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so you can go so far as just to speak to it to one of your shen that's what the the collectively these five spirits are called the shen tricky enough because one of the spirits is also named the shen mm -hmm. so i often differentiate the singular shen versus just the shen uh, so you you have to do this sort of negotiation uh, between the the lot of them, and it can be done, uh, but you have to pay attention to things that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, maybe it's an interesting segue too because this has come up in our conversations before the temporal aspects of of each of those dimensions leading to uh, an interesting complex relationship with past present and future so yeah. this has been our kind of branching off point to talk about gepser and yeah well trust me we're going to get to your we're going to get yeah. there because i got questions yeah yeah uh, but uh in in my way uh, again this is my interpretation of it uh this is not the interpretation of any of it by any means uh i view each of the five spirits having a relationship with uh, time, which for me is a measure of experience. This is what 
time is to, to me in an animistic sense. Time is, is experiential. If you don't, if you're not aware of your experience, you've lost the time of it, right? You, if all goes well, when you're doing work, you don't have time. You're just, you're just doing the thing. Time disappears. Uh, and then afterward you went, you say, oh, I can't believe I spent, you know, three hours doing that thing. It felt like, you know, some smaller amount usually, mm -hmm. or, or God, why won't this day end? It's the other side. <laughs> um, but each of the five Shen has a specific sense of timing as well, where some of them may exist in some long form of the past where you might be dealing with deeper ancestral currents. This would be the the jur, the, the the water spirit, the, the the spirit attributed to the water phase. Um, the the e is part of what is present, but it's the underlying present that you don't necessarily see happening right then. But if you kind of just dig down in a little bit, you go, okay, I can feel it moving, but it is a present process, mm -hmm. uh, and the Hun is a spirit of, of um, this outbursting or growing. Um, think of the image of a seedling just coming up past the soil for the first time. This is the movement of the Hun sprouting outward. So in terms of time, this is a spirit who moves just in front of us in time. It can reach out its, its little, little tendrils into futures that we don't quite know about yet to maybe bring something back if we work with them. Uh, so this is a creature, of, this is a being of like divination mm -hmm. is, is the one um, seeing into possible futures. This is the one mm -hmm. dream, dream things often is uh, the, the, the arena of the one. So, so really fuzzy spaces. Um, because it also loses its sight very quickly. You know, the further forward you go in time, the, the more that can take place, the more those, maybe that current can become a little bit more unsettled mm -hmm. and there's more turbulence, the more further in you go in a time or into the future. And it's the, the role of the singular Shen to bring all this material to bear in order to, to provide the space for there to be an awareness of the moment as it is. Like, mm -hmm. I, I am aware of myself doing this right now. That is the space of the singular shed. Mm -hmm. uh, so there is this sort of time component, but it's even that's illusory, right? It's not really time. It's just experience stretched out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a passage in the third book that says, uh, the only one for whom time is time is time. And that means that if you were to, if time has a face, then time as we understand it would be the experience of that being. And so that's the only being for whom time is actually experienced in its purest sense. So it's interesting. And this, this is the easy segue into Gebser, right? Yeah. Because Gebser, 
makes multiple statements, multiple iterations of basically saying that time can never be experienced in the abstract. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the concrete sensefulness of the present, right. not as an abstract thing called the present, but what's alive in the, the present, thing that the you experiential, that sensible. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, you know, the Shen is, the singular Shen is sort of interesting too with Gebser, although he wasn't using that language mm -hmm. very much. Um, he seemed to understand that time as this sensible presence or presencing as an activity of a living being mm -hmm. is, is in relation always with past and future, right? Mm -hmm. Past and future are, are in some kind of dynamic living relationship in the present. Mm -hmm. And so the way you kind of move as a being or as an integral being is just being aware of that interrelationship um, to, to varying degrees. This but, is how you end up keeping time is to to keep the experience that you have or keep parts of it. Mm -hmm. You end up keeping fragments of time because you end up um, integrating or working with fragments of that thing that happened back then. Mm -hmm. we, don't, we don't always remember that meal that I had that one time when I was seven years old and you know, such and such a month, such and such mm -hmm. day. Um, it might be in there somewhere, but for most of us, that's not our time. Mm -hmm. We don't have that as time. Yeah, yeah, and um, I mean, this this is jumping ahead more to like the class that I just wrapped up, uh, fragments of integral future. Speaking of fragments, but the intuitive sense for me, and, and if I understand Gebser correctly, and if my own insights are aligned, that there's a kind of plasticity in relationship with past and mm. future. That moments like that, that kind of go into a sense of latency, like a particular breakfast as a seven-year-old. Mm. Um, particular experience in the moment that you're going through that's triggering that memory and then also maybe an entanglement with some event in the future yeah. have a kind of resonance with one another right it can sometimes sort of bloom and open up in a, in a more diaphanous sense where the past present and future are all co-present in a very intensified way yeah it's spooky entanglement all the way down <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah i don't think that the that what you've said is is out of bounds for how I understand things time-wise for the spirits either. Mm -hmm. Because what what a spirit understands as time is is very different than what we as human beings know as, you know, clock time, right? Mm -hmm. uh, again, if time is a being, then that's the only being that will have that kind of time as, as its actual time as experience. So, yeah, so you, you may have some questions for me. I do. <laughs> and that's fine to, uh, turn, to I, turn it around. I do, though. This is okay. Uh, I've sat with you through a few classes now, and I've read some good bit of your work and, and you know, some bit of, good, good bit of Gebster's work at this point. But I still, there's, there's, there's lingo and Full disclosure, I don't, I really don't like Lingo. <laughs> I, I don't. Um, I, I too was a philosophy major. I too read all this stuff with the prolegomena and all, all those things. And I just, it, it's not my thing. It's not my jam. But, so what is, what am temporics? <laughs> what am temporics? Great question. Um, 
Yeah, so so Gebser bandies around lots of different words, and then obviously the translation of um, Noel Barstad and Algus McCunis, uh, they had to take certain creative liberties. Mm-hmm. But Temporix, um, the way Gebser uses it is it's a very broad term. It's almost a basket of different concepts about time, right? So working with Temporix or accommodating Temporix for Gebser is usually... Um, involving something along the lines of uh, working with time as experience, like okay. not just time as abstraction, but time as maybe something that more along the lines that we're talking about as process, okay. living experience, um, the immeasurableness of it, the qualitative intensities of time that are lived. Okay, and if to the degree that particular schools of art or uh, architectural movements or approaches to medicine are incorporating that and not remaining in that sort of spatial, secular, looking at time from the outside as an abstract and static thing that can be rated and measured. Mm -hmm. There's an incorporation of the living dynamics of of the world, right? So that's usually the way he's he's, he's using that term, especially in, 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 in EPO, and he's always using that second part of the book saying like oh well they're integral to the degree that they're incorporating temporics but then he doesn't explain it necessarily and it's different for every single one of the examples but um that's generally i think the way he means it and i've kind of retained that in my own language with the class and basically suggested you know temporics in that definition um and then encourage students to explore what that might mean for them as a kind of art form as a kind of creative practice how do we incorporate time in this qualitative, intensified way, and not as merely quantitative, right? Okay. Yeah. So it is. It is the broad study, or 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 categorization. That's not even the right word. Um, it is the working of lived time, lived lived experience that you measure after the fact more or less mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what is the temporix of tempura of tempura <laughs> oh it would be the scent of time then we can bring in byung chul han here okay um you know like uh I'd... make that fit for that what is all right we're gonna that? we're gonna try to roll with this um temporix of tempura thank you no this is great it's a great prompt you know in the way that you're talking about like time is what it is mm-hmm. whatever its face is and this it might be like the taste of the batter right the the smell of the oil the, the crunchiness of the tempura itself the lingering and waiting the hunger in your stomach as you're smelling okay. being fried right the, that whole continuity of experience that goes into eating your your you know deep fried carrot or whatever you happen to get at the restaurant right like well, that, that kind of sense, the, the experiential, the qualitative, obviously the scent of time is what that seems to be full of for me. Um, now, the temporics of tempura probably wouldn't include um, the recipe uh, unless it's like the mental effort of the chef as he's standing in the, in the kitchen. Okay. More of those other dimensions that are kind of harder to All right. uh, track and to trace, right? So, like, in this case, you're... The, the the Oma in the kitchen, the grandmother in the kitchen, 
probably has much better temporics than oh yes than the person who's like just going by the book and like measuring this thing and this thing because they're they're sensing all this stuff going on uh or they've done it so much that their body just knows what mm -hmm. to do and there's like so there is timelessness there too yeah yeah definitely there's there's like an incipient time and timelessness while you're doing the thing which is also time yeah and there, there's the i don't know the, the hourly wage or the tips of the contemporary chef in the urban restaurant using tempura but then there's the grandmothers and there's the generations that are kind of entangled in that moment i guess there's a latency of, of okay the grandmotherly so it's as well. so it's spooky time too then it's yeah, yeah. it can temporix is spooky time like in, in a broader sense mm -hmm. and in a broader a more very, rarefied sense it's a it's a very nested and entangled time because it's not also not just yours then mm -hmm. exactly exactly it's a culmination of, of stuff yeah or the, the the chef and i don't know maybe the chef has got ancestors who were also chefs and you know yeah. the and grandmother's cooking through him you know one of them hates tempura <laughs> one of them does not like this at all yeah so there's there's accommodation really for a lot of those dimensions um the timeless the time free the um clock time right which which is a facet maybe what is the difference between time free and timeless i would say time free is gepser's term for the integral time which includes everything now we might say with timelessness it's more of an experience of no time passing but with okay with time freedom there's it's the a, gestalt of it's time gestalt of like yeah freedom for any of the multiple experiences of time what I think I can wrap my poor little head around that. <laughs> but it's it's not really, like for me, I don't know. I mean, again, uh, it, it can very readily become an abstract. Like I can't imagine all of those together as like a super collider version of like all the times. And it's not really yeah. that. It's, okay. it's almost like um, kind of a more rarefied form of any version of time. Like, mm. Perhaps latently within the timeless, or latently within the experience of the chef, or the scent of time, there is there there's an opening to a sense of the whole, like mm. that that originary sense, that originary creative sense, which brings forth any of these experiences. So man, that really blows the whole Gebser goes to Dragon Con thing. <laughs> <laughs> the listeners don't have context for I Gebser know that goes to Dragon Con. We can Con. have inside jokes. Yes. We're okay. allowed. All right. All right. You hear that? Um, maybe one day you will. Maybe during a live stream uh, or one of the unrecorded. Oh, you wait till tomorrow, pal. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, everything, everywhere, all the time, or something along those lines. Uh, and also none of it. <laughs> Everything everywhere all at once. Yeah, that's what I mean. Mm -hmm. That that movie there mm -hmm. that's really was popular for a moment. That's supposed to be very good, and I haven't seen it. It is quite good. My my students um, were uh, strongly encouraging me to watch it. Mm. They they took 
took turns. They all got in the line, raised their hands, and told me mm, <laughs> on the okay. Zoom call to go see it, and I and I did. And okay, it's, it's quite a Gibsonian kind of all right film. Uh, and well, yeah, okay. I'll I'll let that. I'll, I'm gonna tuck that question to the side if we if we can get to it. Sure. Good talk. Good talk. I'm glad we covered this. <laughs> yeah. Um. One one day, eventually, Gepser goes to Dragon Con will be revealed as a, a useful metaphor for uh, for students of of the temporic arts to consider. Um. But I don't know. Do you have any other questions that you've been biting at the bit to ask me about Gepser's uh, weird languaging and and uh. No, I think I can wrap my head around a lot of it because I, you know, I I read hard quantum theory back in the from you know nineteen fifties and you know I, I again I read a lot of the 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 uh, enfolding of reality sorts of philosophies and um, I can get my head around it. I it it that kind of material is such that it's hard for me to ask specific questions, mm -hmm. just like it's very hard to have specific answers for any of it. it um, it's not quite to say you either get it or you don't, mm -hmm. but you, 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 there is a place where you either have the, the bandwidth or the toolkit to, to think about it or you don't. Mm -hmm. I think that's a fair assertion. Which is part of what makes it difficult, and um, because, as far as I know, Gebser's work, because it is an an unfolding of that which from whence, you know, and it continues to do so, that is unfold. You kind of don't know what what's in there. Yeah, <clears throat> there's um. I think there, there, there's a, a practical element to it that you've already touched on through your work, right? Which is this, how to live in in it in a sensible, embodied way, a relationship between the past and the future and the present, and to navigate those temporal realities um, in a way that's conscious, that in a way that is is oriented towards perhaps harmony, right? Mm, Health, sure. well-being. Sure. Um, that should should be our our goal. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but man, life is hard sometimes. Yes, it is. Life is complicated AF. Yes, and and that's kind of the the challenge because we don't we don't really default to that kind of no. conscious integrated state. It, it's no. it's an effort, and you know I think your books are kind of speaking to to a striving toward that effort, right? Of integration. I, I should hope so. Yeah. I I hope that's what comes out of it. I um, I very much want those. The material I've written, some of it isn't pleasant, some of it's overtly unpleasant, um, but it's done so it's it is that way on purpose, mm -hmm. so that you are tasked with finding a, that discomfort, uh, as you know, Haraway would say, like sitting with the trouble. Yeah, you know, yeah. This this comes up in, in your your teaching a lot in your work a lot this idea of like knowing that this is gonna suck mm -hmm. 
knowing that it's going to be unpleasant. And not even being stronger for knowing it necessarily, but just being able to sink down into it without losing yourself entirely mm-hmm. in it. There, there is a fair bit of like dissolutioning that comes from that. There is a dissolving that can come from that. Mm-hmm. But there is something that there is a, some spark or something that, that continues to, to move. Uh, in the Taoist sense, changes it, you know, e, kind of e, uh, change is the, the constant, right? Mm-hmm. And even though it's not steady, always or always the same, it's always there. Mm-hmm. So there's always something that's, that's just, just waiting to blush out, that's yeah. waiting to pop out from the soil. This is, again, the Hun spirit reaching into the something of a future. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though you can sit with it and, and be with the space that you're at, it doesn't mean that it feels good. No, no, uh, definitely it, it not. It doesn't mean that it's comfortable. And so a lot of um, my work, and even, you know, the your work is 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 to me a bit uneasy it requires a a, not a disease but a Mm dis-ease that you must there then feel out feel out of as if pushing through a membrane except there is no membrane and you know you're you're reaching out you know with little feelers you know um, articulate a well first of all um that the haraway phrase staying with the trouble yes it does come up quite a bit because i think i'm not the only person or many people are saying this that the kind of existential conditions we face Mm. as as a civilization in this particular historical moment um really requires any kind of constructive effort to stay with the uncanniness of the present like Mm. in terms of the climate crisis right the 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 weirdness of time with climate i brought up before like immediate ancestors burning coal over the past few generations being somehow even in a poetic sense but also in a quite literal sense as well uh, entangled in the storms right the ones that we've been experiencing mm-hmm. here and, you know the the yeah. strange first the strangeness yeah. of climate the uncanniness and weirding of climate is entangled in our own recent histories and then our own activities are entangled in in the near future so there's a kind of intergenerational um i don't know um balling up or wrapping up of all of our activities mm-hmm. into past and future and and rather than just being right like a interesting concept about time it's now a kind of existential condition we have to navigate you have to live through yeah that. yeah and so there's a weirdness to time that is, is very like present and kind of heavy if we really become present like you're saying the dis-ease or the ability to engage with it um so so to me anyway that 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 speaks to actually engaging um the, the past, present, and future in a concretized way or in a lived way, mm. rather than attempting to bypass or escape it, you know. Uh, yeah. 
I think, I guess the question in this would be, or the, the inquiry would be, um, maybe your sense of what we have been doing as a culture to get away from that experience of taking on the disease, right? Taking on the, un the discomfort. Uh, we've sort of been fleeing from that for a while and abstracting from it, you know, in, in terms of a cultural attitude. Um, and of course that's all backfired at this point because it's, uh, the weird shows it's, up. Uh, yeah, it, even, even the attempt to unweird things has gotten really weird. <laughs> um, to the point of, you know, near near parody, uh, not satire, but you know, a parody of itself in a lot of ways. Um, I think there are themes that just reemerge over time, uh, and I, I think that human beings do try to address some of these things in in the way that fits at at the time and. I, I'm not always a fan of the, the, the move to meta, mm -hmm. you know, the meaning, the move to uh, think from 10,000 feet. I'm not always a big fan of that. I, I, I know that people like to think on big scales. I know that our society is built on gigantic, vast scales. You know, the, the technology that we have is now, you know, interstellar, uh, quite, quite literally now. And this means that our reach and the way that we think also then is at those, you know, aeonic scales, like vast scales of, of time and space. And I'm, I'm not always a big fan of that for the average you know person mm -hmm. uh, so for me if you're asking what the answer to that is or what an answer to that is for me that would be to slow down like mm -hmm. to, to to contract to purposefully be smaller not so that you shrink away but so that you condense yourself so that you condense your, to, so that you thicken your being, mm. uh, so that you you cook down the potential that you have, so that you can then know, okay, this is the this is the syrup of it. This is the the marrow. This is the uh, yeah, just the thick stuff of it. And I'm gonna use this for doing the thing that I do, and you do it. You just do the thing every, do a thing every day. You know, um, if you are a person who works on, you know, in astronomy or, or, or um, subatomic particles, like you do think in grand scales, but even you must put your pants on or, or your hmm. socks on or get your coffee or uh, feed, feed the dog or at least find someone to do you know, to feed the dog for you, mm -hmm. you know, something of the sort. So even these little things uh, bring you back into to an earth, yeah. into the space that you're at. And, and it is scary to, to think about big abstract things, you know, 
weather events getting more intense. This is coming up a lot lately, and everyone's uh, rightly worried about mm -hmm. the climate change. Uh, who did what? Uh, I have my own opinions, uh, but it's it do kind of doesn't matter who did what after a point. It's already here, right? So if you if you can do nothing in the grand scale, do something at the small scale. Mm -hmm. And then tell your friend to also do something at the small scale. And then tell your other friend to do something at the small scale. And then suddenly you're in a you're you might be part of a beehive that's changing things. You're like you're in a composite yeah. structure again, um, doing some little thing with these other other people, other folks, other entities. Uh, which are affecting maybe maybe not even big change maybe maybe uh, just past medium change <laughs> you know just past your own hometown fine but somebody's gonna see that too and then you can you can go from there uh, so part of that staying with you know the trouble is not to let it grow like you let it be what it is as it is face it as you are mm -hmm. doing the thing that you do you know regulate your breath regulate your heartbeat as best you're able which is usually accomplished through the breath mm -hmm. um you go for a walk you smell smell the flowers if you if you're not terribly allergic you know find that one morsel of food that feeds your guts you know you thicken your time just like you thicken your 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 uh your capacities right you thicken your densify yourself in the world the more that when you act smaller you gain gravity <laughs> yeah well said you know you can do big things and there are people in this world that are doing gigantic things that affect everyone. But we don't know them. Like, we don't know that. Mm -hmm. We're subject to it, but we're so in the middle of it that we don't know it. Uh, every time you turn on TV or, or, or your computer, and I, and I do it, you know, 50 times a day. I'm just as subject to it as anyone else. Um, there are people that have that kind of gravity. Most of us don't, but you can build the 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 framed gravity that you wish to uh, within your sphere of influence. Um, it just takes you. You must, you know, you must take the grain of sand and turn it into a pearl, layer by layer by layer. And so, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I, I'm enjoying the fact that in, in many ways you're. Um, you have your own way of articulating what what I ended up coming to in engaging with a lot of these communities that are talking about the large scale and feeling a sense of lack through that engagement because there's lots of really interesting systemic analysis of mm. the climate crisis and civilizational level crises mm. and mapping all of that out and it's really mm. kind of brilliant work there's and, a lot of great work coming out lately and but the human response seems to be missing because that's that's the kind of advice that my students are always asking about like how do I live the through these times, and so you're speaking very much to 
what I talked about at the end of my class, like, mm. um, in the very Taoist sense, like there's a counterintuitive move of reversal. Okay, big climatological scaled events, good. And you're saying get small. Well, I mean, on an everyday basis, maybe the best you can do is hand out a bottle of water to someone. Yeah. You know, maybe the best you can do is break your neighbor's, you know, lawn who has trouble doing that. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the best you can do. And maybe you're too over overwrought to do that. That's okay. You know, you're, you're, you know, human beings can be resilient, but in the in grand scheme of things, we're, we're frail and minuscule. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, none of us has to be a super, super mensch, you know, none of yeah. us has to do that. There's, um, uh, I don't know where McLuhan got this, Marshall McLuhan got this, but in uh, Understanding Media, he has an example of the emergent culture of electronic media, and, and he takes an example of children in a classroom seeing Sputnik or seeing the Earth from space for the first time. And, mm. and one of the children wrote a poem, something along the lines of, the Earth is very big, we are very small, stay where you are. So there is this sense of, um, uh, as I wrote about in, in the upcoming Fragments book and, and mentioned in the class, the, the Cree saying uh, of Porcupine, I, I, I step back and look forward. There is this sense mm-hmm. of stepping back, actually, is the first move. It's not to jump up to the scale of massive climate events and mm-hmm. get just as super abstract and planetary in the, in the abstract sense, but it, it is to kind of turn back um, and I know that I know a lot of the folks don't like to hear that in, in my community. They like to talk about how do we move to the next like meta systemic level of cognition. But I think a lot of it has to do with exactly that kind of reversal you're speaking to, where there's a reorientation back towards place and planet and presence. But the planet's found through the the singularity of our lives, right? Like the planetary is found through raking the lawns or developing a relationship with place, mm-hmm. um, which we haven't really been doing as a culture, right? We've kind of had a, a, a disjointedness with the... Yeah, the land becomes, you know, a realty that we can buy, right? It becomes a commodity. It doesn't exist as an entity, except insofar as there was an economic boom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that's in itself quite sad and difficult to parse you know people would say well how do i interact with the the land yeah um and it's going to sound very sort of woo-woo right uh i'm all about this particular sort of woo-woo go sit with the tree you can talk to it it's not a bad idea probably doesn't speak english that's my guess. Uh, none of the trees that I've worked with ever truly spoke English as I understand it. Mm-hmm. Uh, most things that are not human can be understood, but they can only be understood in a in a sensory sense, in a visceral sense, mm-hmm. in a in a smelling, in a tasting, in a a feeling of the thing. You can look, but but we're we're so we as creatures are very, very visual. A lot of nature is not. 
a lot of it, nature exists by smell or, or touch. Uh, so we have to take that into account too, just because we don't see the thing doing the thing doesn't mean that it's not you know, doing its thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, also it should be said that if, if I mention to say to slow down and contract, that does not mean then that you stay small. You also will have periods where it is appropriate to expand, but you don't go all the way out to the edge of your existence. Mm -hmm. You go enough that you can sustain it. And then you pull back in a little bit, but maybe not as small as the first time. And then you expand a bit more, right? And then you pull back again, but it's not as much as the second time. So you do actually end up getting bigger. I'm using air quotes here. Mm -hmm. You end up getting bigger, having more gravity, but you're gaining it through slow slow not even increments that's not even the right word but slow accrual of um of your experience it's interesting that you bring that up that movement because that's been kind of an ongoing theme in the class as well this like movement between aggregation and dispersal that we saw in in, in the upper paleolithic as a kind of interesting cultural dynamism of of spreading apart and then actually shrinking becoming small and then coming together in a very large way mm -hmm. you know and bringing all of those different cultural networks together and then leaving and dispersing and becoming small again um you know that there, there's something to that kind of recursive cycle of dispersal and aggregation or composition yeah composition and in in the sense we're kind of learning to become planetary in that way and we mm -hmm. seem to be again in the yin yang sense of like one is in the other the sense sure. that by sure. becoming small we're actually learning how to become big better and vice versa right because they should lead into one another you know the one kind of becoming its opposite so there's some kind of movement in that mm. and i found to be really um at least intuitively keeps coming up in, in my own research and writing mm. on this because you know the, the question always shows up as like okay well if we all become bioregional animists again or you know like in some new kind of cultural regenerative turn uh, how do we work at a planetary scale and i think that kind of movement of well we're probably going to be be bioregional but we might be able to stretch and, and do a planetary thing when it's necessary you know but mm. like never lose mm. the anchor as you're saying never too far that we like that it actually snaps and we start globalizing yeah and maybe it does end up being sort of the case of you know the three blind persons you know trying to figure out what an elephant feels like <laughs> right. and, then, and then okay this region's got this bit well this is what it's like well no well this region's got this bit and this is what it's like well yes no uh so maybe that's just got to be baked in is that that like yeah, we're going to get some of it, but sometimes we're not going to get all of it. I think that we have to get comfortable with that. And that's like, um, you know, Bruno Latour certainly is more of a traditional philosopher, Western thinker, very interesting and innovative, but still somewhat heady. But I, I love his his emphasis on let's let's throw away the whole idea that we've mapped out the globe. Like, 
the globe oh, is yeah. an abstraction. Yeah. There's always something. Yeah. We're never going to get the entire picture all at once. The whole point of like a living dynamic system is that you never see the whole thing at once. So how do we actually build build that into our, our knowledge systems, you know, acknowledging that like there's a limit actually to what we can see mm. um, so that our knowledge systems aren't totalizing anymore and they leave room for that dynamism. So I like, I like that attitude. Um, and, and there's something also humbling about the fact that in many ways, bacteria already know everything in, in their own way we're right. talking about they've yeah. already figured out guy and homeostasis billions of years ago right like yeah they, they know how to be very big and very small um in, in helping to regulate the true. atmosphere hmm. um I, I keep reminding myself of that that you know nature living systems seem to have figured out how to be immediate and bioregional and work out their local ecologies and also participate in the whole dynamic system hmm. Without needing to be galaxy brains, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can understand that. There's a there's a line in the Tao Te Ching, right, that says that according to the Tao, um, all all I'm gonna use the term men here, but all all humans are are as straw dogs, right? And this is you can layer that as many times as you want. But it ends up being such that if you don't cultivate yourself, you, you, you will be as if not existent. But I think it's more appropriate to say that if you, if you live in, in this way, you can at, at, the same, at the same time be the straw and the dog and the Tao you know, and mm-hmm. and that's what it is. Depending on what it is, what uh, scale you're going to work at, and most of us don't have influence in big scales, as we we're saying earlier. So, become the big fish in a little pond if you have to. Mm-hmm. Become the the little fish in a big pond if you have to. Sometimes you might go between ponds and that's okay um and there is a certain sense of losing some bits to gain others this is just baked into it this is the temporics of of being you know scalar a scalar human you know and it it's tricky but if you don't know what to do stop doing what you're doing slow down for a minute Breathe long enough to slow your heartbeat. Maybe take a nap, have a snack, you know, and then share a bit with your friend or your or your neighbor if they need it. You know, then go from there. Well said. And instructions for becoming becoming planetary, or um, Strong Kelly says, becoming Gaia, um, fellow reveler author, Noble Imprint author. Um, we're at the top of the hour here but uh maybe it'd be good to let people know where to find you online which we we had a conversation about Mm, (laughs) Uh, and then and then uh maybe like a little bit about what you're working on now uh well um you can find me on ye old facebook and instagram uh at 
San Junzuning. Uh, I'm sure you'll put it in the certainly podcast notes or whatever. Um, and uh, I'm I'm definitely working on the third book for Revelor, and I've got a what is I think going to be an astrology book, and um, I've got some uh, herbal medicine material that I'm working through. I also teach at a, a school or two across the country, depending on what they need, uh, teaching Chinese medicine. So that often keeps me busy. I intend to do, you know, my own podcast talking about uh, divinatory process and some of some aspects of uh, of Eastern cultures at large. Uh, but we'll see how that plays out. We'll see. Um, so uh, there, there's all that stuff, and that keeps me busy enough. Um, I think next year I'll be doing a course on death and dying with a couple of other, with a again, kind of by committee. Uh, and I'll be kind of presenting from a, an Eastern perspective how that idea of, of death and the process of dying unfolds for, might unfold from a given Taoist or perhaps Buddhist standpoint. We'll see how it goes. Hmm. Excellent. What about you, Jeremy? <laughs> what about me? Um, I also want to mention before we get to me that we've talked about this. We're going to have, we're having, we're planning it right now, but having you come on to mutations and maybe give a little presentation and do a little bit of Q&A with uh, participants as well on any given subject. Um, yeah, I look forward to that. I always, always like the chance to, to chat with folks about more applied stuff. Yeah, and they've already gotten a taste of, of some of your work. You, you chimed in a little bit uh, during the Gepster class, the, the, the Fragments class that we just completed, and um, there was a lot of positive reception and curiosity for uh, uh, particular practices that we can touch on another time, but uh, were an interesting way to begin exploring some of Gepster's more mm. cryptic writings. Um, yeah. But yes, so very much looking forward to that. And um, what I'm working on. I am working on Fragments of an Integral Future. <laughs> that's the book that's that uh is, I promise he's actually working on it. I've seen Yeah, he, he's seen, seen me do it. He's seen me literally with the word processor open. So, you know, yeah. for anybody worrying that I keep saying I'm working on he's it. He's doing it. He's, he's keep he's holding me to this task. Um so yeah, I'm working on that and the class was a great way to give that a bit of a, a booster. Uh just getting some structure maybe, maybe organize some things a little bit sure yeah yeah the, the first third of the book is is i won't say roughly complete just in terms of the draft mm, but mm. um the the, the other two-thirds are in various states of completion sure. more fragments themselves and, and, and it's all right really long annotated outlines and so on so so the rest of it is coming along uh, that's okay it just means you have to go down to a smaller scale first yeah yeah. Do some small scale stuff, build it up to a bigger scale, and mm -hmm. then build that next thing up to a bigger scale. Still, you get to it. You just don't get to it tomorrow. Exactly. Exactly. Other than that, I don't know. There's probably going to be some encore class after fragments. Of a whole bunch of students have you questions. Should, you should do it along the lines of what we were talking about today. What are the What are the practices? Let's go more into mm -hmm. being and becoming planetary. Um, so I think something along those lines. Maybe even that being and becoming planetary might be. Mm. the title of the of the shorter course i like it 
You know, I, I think that you should ask that straight away. What do you think being planetary is? Because yeah. I bet I bet you if you had thirty students, you'd have thirty, 30 answers. answers. Yeah, that'd be a great way to. Uh, I think that'd be like should be the first practice that you yeah. recommend is like, what do you think it means to be planetary? It's going to be prompts and practices. I mean, you've already you've already listed a few at the end here, um, so mm. I, I think we're gonna we're gonna have a bit of an experimental zone where students are going to be trying some different things out. I like it. Yeah. But yeah, all right. Well, thank you, John. Hey, this thanks is... for having me. I'm always uh, I'm always happy to do these sorts of things. I'm, I'm relatively new to it, but I, I think I've got the the uh, speed of the thing down. I think I've um, gotten out what I needed to get out, and we've got the length that we wanted. However, mm-hmm. it goes. Yeah, and and uh, I'm looking forward to you starting your own thing and whenever that is um my students will know my readers will will hear about it so yeah it'll it'll probably have something some things to do with the the yijing so if if any of you are familiar that's a pretty commonly used divinatory system in 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 asia we'll see how it goes because there are a few different ways to view that so yeah if uh if that ever gets off the ground I, i will certainly let you know and uh you spread the word and I'll spread the word about, you know, what you do too. And uh, we were talking last night about, you know, making a scene or, or sort of uh, composing a scene or something. Of yeah, sort. Speaking of co-conspirators, right? So yeah. yeah. I think that's a valuable thing to, to, if you don't have the scene that you want, make, you know, make the, the social scene, right? As best you can. So uh, let's, uh, let's work to, to build the, the scene that we want to see, you know? Yeah, build the scene you want to see in the world. Um, start small, right? Like, if it doesn't exist, then turn towards each other and start yeah. having conversations. Right? Sure. That's the, that's the this practice. Is the, this is the coffee shop thing, you know? This is, you know, having a beer or two with your friends, a glass of wine or whatever. Uh, this is the so, sort of the salon setting where everyone just kind of maybe launches into it. Yeah. And, and, and did, you know... To be to be honest as well, it's, it's it's kind of fun to have you physically in the room to be able mm. to have this conversation. Yeah. There's a there's a naturalness in this that I actually yeah. would prefer, although you know not as practical obviously with everyone uh, all well, around the world. Mean, but uh, I'm happy to see that people are more uh, comfortable with doing that lately over the last couple of year or so, and um, I'm glad to see smiling faces again and all that. Um, so again i i understand some of what that space was a couple years back um and i understand why people felt the way they did good or bad Mm -hmm. Uh, but i'm 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 glad to be out in amongst folk and to spend time with people you know being uh, a tactile human you know to to be able to touch and experience in a more direct way technology has its purpose but some things it's a little tricky yeah it's all about inhabiting that again that interesting tension you spoke of between the big and the small right like mm. this is a good way for us to reach out like broadcast connect mm. with people and then but then there's this like kind of knowing where the tension is in the tether like mm. knowing the kind of okay let me go back to in-person communication mm. in-person relation yeah well all right thank you john Thanks it's been so a pleasure. Much.